I'll begin with a reminder. If you don't hear me or you don't understand something that I'm saying, uh, please stop me. Let me know. And I'd also uh, like to voice my, uh, my appreciation for your practice. It's not, um, not always easy, yeah. particularly the first day, the first days of retreat. Certainly not, um, for me, something that I just uh, kind of take for granted that you're here and that you're showing up from moment to moment, from uh, practice period to, to practice period. So a lot of appreciation coming from my side and perhaps uh, checking in if you can also feel some appreciation for yourself, yeah. for, for being here, for showing up. And this evening I'd like to continue um, to unfold yeah, the teachings that we've just started to explore together. Yeah. This uh, teaching of the Buddha, uh, of this possibility for us you know, as human beings to um, discover the path and walk the path that leads from Dukkha. Yeah, I'll say more what that is in a moment to freedom. Yeah. And um, we can say from dukkha to release. Yeah. And the book, the Buddha was a great, um, you can say a great maker of maps. <laughs> yeah. He kind of left behind different maps that kind of map this journey. Yeah for us. Uh, and one of the most uh, well-known of these uh, is the, the map of the, the four, um, sometimes referred to as the four noble truths or the four ennobling truths, the truths that uh, kind of bring forth nobility in us. Do you know this word nobility? Yeah, do you have a word in Finnish for it? Yeah? Anyone want to say it? Yeah, well. Thank you. Yeah. And so, the first uh, of this yeah, of these truths is actually the truth that kind of points to dukkha. I said I was going to explain it. <laughs> yeah, and its presence, yeah, or it's the part it plays in in our lives. Um, Nathan mentioned, I think it was in the Q&A today, um, that dukkha is often translated as suffering. Yeah, that's the common way it's translated. Uh, it's, not, it's a partial translation, we can say. It's not a very complete uh, translation. Also not, um, yeah, kind of not complete, not, not enough. So um, a more precise, more accurate understanding of what dukkha is is, you know, that search that we have, yeah, we look for lasting satisfaction, lasting happiness in things that are in themselves, yeah, not lasting, yeah, 
and also um, don't have a kind of existence from their own side. They're dependent on conditions. Yeah? And so we look yeah, for lasting happiness. And what uh, does it itself does not last, what is itself conditioned, made up of um, causes and conditions, made up of parts. And so we can say a more helpful, more useful way of understanding what dukkha is, is, you know, dukkha is this kind of um, lack of the possibility. Things are not capable of giving us lasting satisfaction and therefore we can say they're unsatisfactory. And this is something we're going to unpack. Um, incapable of satisfying. And if that sounds a little bit complicated, <laughs> as I said, we'll keep unpacking that over the days. Um, other ways that Dukkha is translated, which I find uh, helpful. Yeah, one is from Thich Nhat Hanh, those of you who know that wonderful Vietnamese teacher. He translates Dukkha as ill-being, yeah, the opposite of well-being. Yeah. We can start to get, with that translation, we can start to get a feeling for it. Yeah. Yeah. The, the ill-being. Uh, sometimes uh, also other words that are used as stress. Yeah. The stressfulness of looking for yeah, satisfaction in that which is in itself changing. Yeah. So we can start to get a feeling of, of, of this. And what interests us with this first ennobling truth, with this exploration of dukkha and hopefully... Um, what this talk will leave us with is an understanding that this is an exploration. Yeah. So what interests us with this exploration of dukkha is uh, to see that dukkha, that ill-being, that suffering even, that stress, does not arise yeah, independently or out of nothing. Yeah? Which again is often the habitual way we see things. We think, ah, this pain, yeah? that suffering, right? And it just exists, you know, it comes into being and it has this, you know, independent existence. Uh, the same, you know, might be restlessness in the mind, yeah? Or, you know, something in the mind. So it might be on the physical plane, you know, we feel discomfort in the body. I'm sure most of us have felt discomfort in the body at some point today. Right? Yeah? Yeah. And the way we tend to see it as ah it, it it exists, it's just there. Yeah. Yeah. And yet what the teachings invite us to see is to look at how is it constructed? Yeah, what is it dependent on? Yeah. The same with mental states. Yeah, maybe there was restlessness in the mind. Yeah. Anyone here had restlessness today? <laughs> Smiles, yeah, a few brave hands, yeah. yeah. Maybe there was restlessness in the mind, thank you. <laughs> a sense of like, get me out of here, you know, quieter or louder, yeah. Maybe in the walking meditation, you know, you get restlessness sometimes, you know, it can be really strong there. You kind of might be sure that the bell ringer has fallen asleep somewhere, <laughs> yeah. They must be in the hammocks, yeah. <laughs> sleeping. It can't be that it hasn't been 45 minutes. Yeah. So, 
You know, and also when we look at that, we can see oh, how is that condition? There's a sense of, oh, this restlessness, it's so real. Yeah? And it so kind of has its own nature. Yeah? And yet when we look more closely, we see, oh, the restlessness, yeah, it also depends on causes and conditions. Yeah? It's dependent. It doesn't just exist from its own side. Maybe it's coming from a sense of pressure. That's there, you know. I have to do my walking meditation for the whole 45 minutes. Everyone's watching me. You know, there might be a sense of pressure there. There might be a sense of um, evaluating our own worth, you know, and how we're doing that. Yeah. There might be um, conditions to do with, you know, what the weather's doing. Yeah. Uh, how much or how little we've eaten. <laughs> All kinds of conditions that can come in and impact that experience. So this is actually, we're kind of starting to come into the second of the ennobling truths, right? Remember I said there were four. Yeah, so the first was dukkha. The second is that um, dukkha is conditioned and dependent yeah, on something. It arises dependent on something or it co-arises with other things. Uh, the, the Pali here is Dukkha Samudaya. Yeah. Dukkha Samudaya. And um, this word Samudaya means um, arising yeah, or combination, yeah, often translated as cause. Yeah. But actually arising with, yeah, arising with or combined with so the second uh, noble truth, dukkha samudaya, dukkha arises with, is combined with something else. <laughs> and what is this something else? The something else is uh, tanha, another Pali word. You don't have to remember the Pali. Yeah. It's just easier for us to use it. Yeah. And along with dukkha arises tanha. And tanha... Um, most commonly translated as craving into English, literally means thirst, yeah? Like being thirsty for something, yeah? A thirst, yeah? A thirst. And so, so often uh, the translation here would be tanha is the cause of dukkha, yeah? So craving is the cause of suffering. That's a common translation that we hear. More helpful to see them as arising together. Yeah, dependent on each other. And I'll say more about that in a little bit. So the third and fourth um, truths, I'm, I'm going to be quite brief with them. Uh, the third, interestingly enough, is niroda. Yeah. Yeah. Heard that word before? <laughs> we are yeah, the third noble truth right here. Literally means uh, cessation, release. Yeah, we can say the cessation, the ending of, yeah, the ending of dukkha, yeah, that possibility. And the fourth is the path leading to that cessation, leading to that niroda. Yeah, there is a path. So the Buddha uh, kind of, you know, gave us a map where he described, gives us these four, and the fourth one is a whole path, yeah, leading from dukkha to release. And today we're going to really look at this path, but predominantly from those first two noble truths, the dukkha, 
and particularly Dukkha Samadayan, what does Dukkha depend on? What does it arise with? So Dukkha arises with Tanha, arises with with this sense of thirst, of craving, or we can say of demand. Of demand, demanding something from experience. We might say, you know, Tanha, we know it, yeah, in its more gross forms, yeah, when it's more obvious, yeah. That sense of uh, dissatisfaction or lack that is looking for relief, yeah. Yeah, I told you about the digital detox that we have here. We see this a lot in our digital life, yeah. You, you, you walk around, like, I don't know, hang out in a train station or on a train or on a bus. How many people are on their phones? Yeah. Why? As soon as there's a gap, as soon as seemingly nothing is happening, tanha arises. Yeah, this craving, yeah, arises. And we go to the nearest thing to fill it. So for many of us, it's the phone nowadays. Yeah. That might be the thing or a conversation or something to fill the space, something to um, kind of respond to this inner movement yeah, of thirst, of looking for what is going to fill the space, what is going to give me some uh, sense of relief and sustenance, usually externally. Yeah, we usually look for it outside of ourselves. Yeah, we look for it in things and we look for it uh, in experiences. And so interestingly, we come around with this and we say, ah, we, when Tanha is present, which is <laughs> for us as human beings almost all of the time, yeah, more subtle, can be very subtle, can be more gross, yeah. When it's present, uh, what it comes with is this kind of giving things, yeah, an identity. Yeah. So there's dukkha in that second helping of, of um, sorry, there's adukha in that second helping of lunch. <laughs> There's the opposite of dukkha. Yeah? I'm already full, but it tasted so good. I'm not going to be able to eat anything until dinner. It's fine to have some more. Yeah? So this, that we, we see the happiness in the thing. Yeah? And we also see the unhappiness in the thing. Yeah? It might be just a little bit uncomfortable in the meditation. My leg is falling asleep. Yeah? And how, how does that blow up in our minds? Yeah? It becomes such a problem. Have to fix this. Have to fix this. So we see dukkha as existing in things and we also see the relief of dukkha in the thing. I'll get that, I'll get rid of that. Ah, life will be good. You know this? Yeah? Anyone experience that in their lives? Really important to say here, this isn't a teaching that says, you know, we all need to go and be complete renunciates, yeah, and live like, you know, without anything. Not necessarily, (laughs) yeah. What it's saying is, let's look, yeah, let's explore this human condition, let's understand it, and let's find more reliable, yeah, sources of well being and happiness than just the momentum of habit of the human heart and mind. Because this is a shared momentum. It's a shared uh, way that we as human beings uh, live and understand uh, our lives. 
So we can say dukkha arises with tanha and tanha arises with dukkha. I hope we can see that because when we believe that thirst, that find, 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 sometimes I call it like a sensor. <laughs> it's like find something, find something, find something, you know, get busy, latch onto something, hook onto something. Yeah? That brings more dukkha because that is restlessness, right? It's dissatisfaction, just being constantly fed. So dukkha arises with tanha, tanha arises with dukkha. They co-arise, they mutually support each other. And I want to look at some really common forms of dukkha that uh, kind of come up for us as human beings. They're really, really, uh, yeah, really common for all of us, for our human minds. Uh, and often in the first days of retreat, we will see them very, very clearly. So this is another uh, little map, we can say, very, very helpful one. So, let's see. Let's see if I'm right and these are common. Did anyone here today experience sleepiness or dullness of mind? Please raise your hand. Yeah. Did anyone experience restlessness and agitation? Yeah. Did anyone experience uh, a desire yeah, for something to be different than it is? <laughs> We're all there. Uh, and did anyone experience aversion to what was present in your experience? Yeah. So really, really common. Yeah. I mean, I could see all of you, so I could tell you it's all common. So could the people at the back. So these four um, common forms of dukkha that we just descri described in the tradition, they're called uh, hindrances, yeah, obstacles, blocks. What do they block? They block release. They block our freedom. Or they can, if we do not relate to them skillfully. Yeah. And the four that we just described, they kind of come in two pairs. Yeah. Um, we have aversion and desire. right? They're two sides of the same coin. When there's aversion, when we want to get rid of something, we're desiring something else. Right? Does that make sense to people? And when we desire something, <laughs> we're aversive <laughs> to something else. Right? So I'm, I might be really kind of desiring a different mind than the one that I have in <laughs> this meditation. Right? And what's the other side is the aversion yeah, to the mind that I'm eating right now, or the mind state. Yeah? So we can see that. Yeah? Desire and aversion. Two sides um, of the same coin. We can call them the wanting and the not wanting. Yeah. And it's really helpful yeah, to see the relationship. These are forms of dukkha. Yeah? I think we'll agree on that. Right? Anyone enjoyed them? <laughs> yeah. A little bit, maybe. Yeah. Sometimes the desire with the fantasies, it can feel enjoyable for a little while. Yeah. And this is where we kind of cultivate a deeper way of seeing. You know, look more, more fully, more deeply. Um, and so they're forms of dukkha, and what we can see is they arise with this tanhaya, they arise with this demand on experience. Yeah. I want it to be like this, I don't want it to be like that. Yeah. Sometimes we call this the push and pull. Yeah. We push some things away, we pull some things towards us. Yeah. So there's this movement and we can start to see 
yeah, what that tanha feels like uh, in the body and the heart and the mind. So they arise with demand and they also arise, this is interesting, with contraction. Yeah. If we feel, you might do it now with the memory of a moment like that, or you may be experiencing a moment like that right now. Yeah. Yeah. And if you notice what happens in the body and what happens in awareness, we might feel a sense of contraction, a sense of um, contractedness, the space getting smaller and tension. Yeah, around this, yeah, around this push and pull. Does that make sense to people? Yeah. So, you know, all of these two hindrances, yeah, we can see how they're forms of dukkha, how they arise with tanha. The other pairing, yeah, the tiredness, dullness, yeah, we can feel it in the body, we can also feel it in the mind, yeah, that, that is in a pairing with restlessness, yeah. And they're not exactly two sides of, of the same coin. They're actually um, both made up of different combinations of energy and calm. Yeah. And they're both actually imbalances of energy and calm, two um, qualities that are really helpful for us in our practice. Yeah. So if there's too much energy <laughs> and not enough calm, we'll experience restlessness. Right? That makes sense to people? And when there's too much calm and not enough energy, we experience dullness and tiredness. That's an interesting way of looking at it, doesn't it? Because when we look at it that way, it opens up possibilities of how to work with it. Instead of this big problem, sleepiness, we say, ah, look at that, it's great, I've got so much calm. (laughs) I'm so calm. We can actually be happy about it. And we think, okay, what would help to amp up yeah, the energy. Yeah. What would help that? So we become, uh, start to become interesting, interested in that because what happens when we look at our experience when there is this imbalance, either on the restlessness end of the spectrum or the dullness and sleepiness end of the um, spectrum, we find that unpleasant, right? <laughs> yeah? And when something's unpleasant, what happens? What comes in? aversion and desire. (laughs) They join the party. So hindrances come in groups a lot of the time. So there's aversion and desire. I don't want this and I want that. And so there's the demand, there's the contraction, there's the friction with experience, there's the push and pull. It all uh, comes up together. So there's a really a helpful insight here. Yeah. We can see that dukkha and tanha arise with demand, yeah, with friction and with contraction. Yeah, there's a friction with experience. It's like rubbing up against our experience in a way that's not pleasant. Yeah. Yeah. So when there's dukkha, when there's tanha, yeah, there's this sense of demanding from experience to be different than it is. Yeah. And there's contraction in the mind and the body. Yeah. And there's a sense of friction. And the teachings offer us yeah. another possibility. Yeah. 
that offer us another perspective. Yeah, this is kind of up till now a description of the human condition. But remember, this is a path from dukkha to release. Yeah. So what is the possibility? What can we do with this human condition? We can remember that dukkha is dependent. Yeah? It doesn't exist just of itself. Yeah? It's dependent on conditions, yeah? including the mind. Yeah? It's dependent on the mind. It's dependent on the way we relate to our experience. Yeah? The way of relating, the way of looking at experience. Little pause here. This doesn't mean that if you are suffering, <laughs> if there's dukkha in your experience, it's your fault. Yeah? doesn't mean that. Yeah? It does mean that when there's dukkha, there's something going on in the heart and mind that is contributing perhaps to that. And that is something that we can attend to, that we can address. So the Buddha had uh, a wonderful, uh, had a lot of wonderful imageries, and I just want to use one very famous sutta here, um, where he describes this very, very clearly. Yeah. And he gives this, uh, this simile, this image, this story, um, of a person uh, walking down the path through the fields uh, in the Buddha's time and getting hit by an arrow. Yeah. Yeah? So they get hit by something, yeah? This happens to us, right? Yeah. We get pain in the body. Yeah. We stub our toe or we bang our head or, you know, just something happens. Yeah. And that happens. Yeah. This is the imagery. But then the Buddha says, a person uh, who does not practice, who does not understand yeah, how dukkha is dependent, they will grieve, <laughs> they will lament, they will beat their chest. I'm not beating my chest now so that I don't lose the microphone again. Yeah. They beat their chest, yeah? They complain, <laughs> they blame, yeah? They make a big fuss, right? And the Buddha says this is like a second arrow <laughs> that the uninstructed yeah, person yeah, shoots at themselves. Yeah? And so this is the way of relating. Yeah? And often... Yeah, I remember I gave that example with, you know, doing walking practice and, and, and getting restless. Yeah? And then the sense of, oh, I'm, you know, I'm so bad at this. You know, why am I restless? Look at everyone else. They're walking so calmly and beautifully. And it's only me that's struggling. What does that mean about me? Yeah? I'll never get it. Yeah? This is all the second arrow yeah, that we're adding into the experience. And that's in the way of relating. And there's something we can do about it. Yeah. That's why, uh, you know, there is this teaching. And the Buddha says, you know, uh, the person who does practice, who does understand, who does look at the way experience arises, dependent yeah, on conditions, can recognize, yeah, this is painful. Yeah. if there's pain in the body. This is uncomfortable if there's agitation in the mind. Yeah. I can recognize without adding more fuel to the fire, yeah. without shooting those second arrows, 
Does that make sense? Yeah. And this can sound so um, simple, yeah, and, and maybe even minor. It's not easy to do. <laughs> we have really strong habits of shooting these second arrows. But the relief that comes yeah, when we do less of that is immense. It's immense. So remembering there's always something we can do. Yeah. There's always something we can do when we face the uncomfortable, the unpleasant, yeah, the challenging in our lives. There's always something we can do. Yeah. It might be just a tiny little bit, shifting the dial a little bit. Yeah from, you know, very high intensity to a little bit less. But what a difference that makes, yeah? Yeah? What a difference does that makes? And we know that in our own experience, when there's physical pain or, you know, emotional discomfort. Just a little bit less is a lot, yeah? It's a lot. It's worth doing. It's worth applying. There's always something we can do. We can slow down. Yeah? We can open the space, yeah? We can get, bring interest and kindness to meet the experience, yeah? get interested in it, yeah? to understand what can we learn here. Yeah? Nothing is a done deal. <laughs> There's always something we can do. Always something we can do. It's all put together, constructed, conditioned, yeah? including by our own mind, by our own way of looking and way of relating, yeah. including by the body, yeah, what the body's doing in any moment. So let's look, uh, I want to look at this with, in more detail and particularly in relationship to the hindrances. Yeah. Um, as I said, they're really common on the first day of the retreat. That's the good news, you're not alone. <laughs> the maybe more interesting news is that they are not going to go away just uh, because we sleep tonight. Yeah. They may still arise. Yeah. They may still arise. And so it can be really helpful to become interested uh, in them. And the first thing that we're interested in is to recognize, when the, recognize them when they're pr- present because they're so habitual to us that we tend to not see them. Yeah, they're a bit like the smoke that's coming into the room right now. Yeah. You know, we kind of, when we pay attention or because of the smell, we notice it's there. Yeah, but typically we might not notice if there was no smell. Yeah. We wouldn't notice there's a bit of smoke, yeah, through which we are seeing the world. Yeah. And this is what the hindrances do. They color our perception. So we're interested in recognizing when they arrive. Ah, you know, dullness, restlessness. Aversion, <laughs> desire, whatever it is, ah, recognizing it. We're also interested with recognition just to take a pause and to allow them to be because we have such a strong habit of aversion towards them, yeah, pushing them away. Yeah. So we're interested to pause and to acknowledge and allow, yeah. And don't worry, allow doesn't mean that you're agreeing for them to stay forever. Yeah? It's a step on the journey, but it's really an important one. What happens when we decrease the demand? Yeah? And we've been doing it in different ways already. Yeah? When we open up the space, yeah? remember I said the demand, the tanha, comes with contraction? 
Remember I said that today? I've already been throwing so many words at you. Yeah. When we do the opposite, when we open the space, what happens? Yeah. Contraction reduces, and with it, naturally, so does the tanha, so does the dukkha in experience. So we can do this, yeah, we can recognize, we can allow, and we can play with attending, with responding, yeah, through the body, first of all, yeah. We can open the space to the whole of the body, like we've been doing. We can breathe in a way that opens up the whole body or relaxes and softens, yeah. This is ways that we attend to the experience. We can breathe uh, long, like we were doing this afternoon, longer breath, yeah, tuning into the pleasantness, yeah, soothing, nourishing. Yeah. We can also, if we're dealing with the restlessness or the dullness, we can energize or calm through the body and the breath, right? We can say, ah, I'm going to, as I'm breathing, I'm tuning in more to the energy that's coming in, yeah, because when we breathe, there's energy coming in, right? We can tune into that aspect of the breathing. Or I'm tuning in to the calmness in the breath, which is also there. Yeah, and the out-breath, the body naturally lets go, releases, calms. So we can play, we can attend yeah, to the hindrances through the body, yeah, in the ways that I've just described. We can also do it through the mind as well as the body. Yeah. For example, recognizing this is a hindrance. <laughs> it makes such a difference. Yeah? Or my favorite way of saying it, a hindrance is just a hindrance. Yeah? That reminder, a hindrance is just a hindrance. Yeah? It's not such a big deal. It feels like a big deal because that's the habit. It's not such a big deal. This is not who I am. Yeah? Bring in the sense it's not who I am because in that moment it feels like this is who I am. I'm this restless person or aversive person that takes over. Or sleepy person. <laughs> this is not who I am. It's an appearance. We can bring in useful qualities. And again, we've been doing that. Yeah? We bring in interest. Yeah? We bring in interest. What does that do? When we bring in interest, it energizes us. Yeah? It... Um, opens the space. Again, we're less identified with what we're observing. Yeah? If we're interested in it. Yeah? We can feel the movement of the push and pull. Yeah? This is actually more both in the body and in the mind and in awareness. We feel that pushing away. Yeah? The pulling towards. Yeah? And we can open the space of awareness. Yeah, said that in the body, but we can also do that. Yeah, we're also doing it in the mind. Yeah, and all of that leads to less identification. Yeah, less identified. We believe it less. As we open the space, as we bring interest, as we bring the playfulness and experimentation that we've been speaking of. Mm. Yeah, we become less hooked. Yeah, by what we're seeing. Yeah. We're less hooked into it. We believe it less. We're imprisoned by it less. We have more possibilities um, of response. And so I want to, I'm going to give an example, particularly with um, 
just going to use the sleepiness, restlessness hindrances, that pairing, just to break it down. So if you remember even one of the things I'm going to say, just try them <laughs> next time they arise, okay? And you can play a really cool trick, with, trick, which is to get really interested and say, I can't wait to get sleepy. <laughs> I can't wait to get restless. I really want it. <laughs> if you really keep that up, they might not come. So see what happens. Yeah, we're changing the way of relating. So next time you feel sleepy or feel restless, it actually might be right now. Yeah, you might be feeling sleepy and sluggish. You might be restless and really waiting for this talk to finally be open, uh, over. Sorry, yeah, this barrage of words. Just acknowledge, huh? you know, and you're kind of nodding away or drifting off mentally into dreamland. <laughs> and just in these moments between, when there's enough awakeness, wakefulness, say, ah, it's a hindrance. Huh? It's a hindrance. That's what's arising. Yeah. What does a hindrance mean? Yeah, great. So these, these four, the sleepiness, restlessness, aversion, and desire are called, they're a group that's referred to as hindrances. And hindrance is like an obstacle or something that blocks, it gets in the way. Does that make sense? Yeah. Thank you for asking that. So there, there might be that experience, sleepiness, restlessness, we recognize. Yeah. It's a hindrance, it's an obstacle. We might then notice that it feels unpleasant. Yeah, that our body, heart, mind system kind of labels it, yeah, recognizes it, feels it, experiences it as unpleasant. With that unpleasantness will come aversion. Start to track the process and see, ah, unpleasant, don't like it. Yeah. Want to get rid of it. Yeah. So that might arise. There might be the sense, yeah, of this is getting in my way. Yeah. I can't meditate. <laughs> see some smiles. This is familiar, right? I can't meditate with this tired body. I can't meditate with this restless mind. Yeah. So we might see this story beginning. This is getting in my mind, in my way. And then a sense of like, I can't do it. Yeah? I can't do it. I'm the world's worst meditator. Nobody is worse than me at meditation. Yeah? I can't do it. Yeah? I can't do it. Yeah, this is doubt, by the way. It's the fifth hindrance. <laughs> There's five of them, but I haven't touched on that one yet. But it tends to come up with the rest of them. Yeah, I can't do it. So all of this is going on and we're seeing it. Yeah, We're interested to see what happens when there's a hindrance. What else is there? Yeah, these are the conditions that feed it. Yeah. Yeah, so we want to make them seen. Yeah, we want them to, to be seen. Yeah, we want to bring interest to them. And then yeah, we continue to work. Yeah? What would be a good way to respond to this? Because typically we just react. Yeah? We push away, we push away. Don't like this, unpleasant, don't want this, it's getting in my way. React, react, react. Yeah? Interested to move to a response. Yeah? A response. 
So we acknowledge there's sleepiness, there's restlessness, or we just say there's a hindrance. We don't always need to know which one it is. Yeah? We allow, you know, remember that allowing, just relaxing that struggle a little bit or a lot. Beginning to respond through investigation. We're already responding because we're bringing interest. Yeah? But now we're investigating a little bit. We're saying, okay, what happens? Yeah? There's tiredness or there's restlessness. What happens if I open up the space with the whole body? Yeah? What happens when I do that? Does that impact the experience? Yeah? We're interested to see. What happens when I bring more interest? What happens uh, when I bring more kindness? Yeah? It's also an interesting one. Yeah? Less sense of, because with that aversion that comes towards the unpleasant, there's a sense of enmity, right? Of non-kindness. This is my enemy. Yeah? This tiredness or this restlessness, it's my enemy. Yeah? If we really watch what's going on in our mind. What happens if we bring in kindness? So we're interested to see that. What happens if I attend through the posture and the breath? Yeah? I kind of, and we, we touched on it today, if there's tiredness, probably the body's closing down in some way. What happens if I just a little bit align and open? Yeah? Open the chest. Yeah? Align the spine. Yeah? What happens then? What happens if I even open the eyes and meditate with the eyes open? Yeah, that can bring more energy. What happens if I breathe in a way that's energizing? Yeah, or if I'm restless, what happens if I breathe in a way that's calming and I'm doing this up and down because we can really feel that? Yeah, we need more energy, upward movement. Yeah, we need more calm, downward movement, grounding. Yeah. So we can imagine the breath doing that. Yeah, or we can just kind of feel ourselves more grounding in the contact. As much as we can, remembering this is the practice. <laughs> this is the practice. It's not getting in my way. It's the practice right here. And so kind of a, a great way of practicing with this is flipping it around from hindrance to opportunity. Yeah, from something that is getting in my way to an opportunity yeah, for understanding more deeply. Yeah? Opportunity to um, attend to my experience, to learn more how experience is constructed, yeah? how, it, uh, how it comes together, and also how uh, we can kind of release and relieve dukkha, take away the suffering from what can still stay unpleasant. Yeah, really important to say that. So an opportunity rather than an obstacle. So the more we do this, less identification. This is quite key and we'll come back to this over and over. It's less about me. Yeah? We're less kind of identified with this experience. Yeah? When there's less identification, there's more space. When there's more space, there's less identification. Less, um, less identification, more space, less contraction. Remember that contraction that comes yeah, with the craving, with the tanha, with the demand. And less dukkha. 
So it can be really interesting. They may still be unpleasant in the body. Still be maybe an unpleasant energy in the mind. But there's less suffering with that. Because we're not limiting our possibilities to say, I need to get rid of this in order to be happy. We're opening to this part of our experience and something we can work with. So there's always something we can do. We can always play a little bit with that dial. And this is uh, kind of one more thing to really emphasize. I've said it, but I'm saying it again because it's meaningful. Often, one of the biases we have in our mind is this, I call it the all or nothing. (laughs) Either I'm completely happy, everything is going fully well, or it's a disaster. And there's not much space in between. And kind of what we start to learn through our practice is to recognize most of the time there's a mixture. There's a mixture, but we can learn to bring our attention to some aspects of our experience and not to others, or to view them, to relate to them in a different way. So when we shift that dial, a little bit more ease, a little bit more ease. And if you kind of remember a time when you were feeling really restless, <laughs> yeah. when you're feeling really restless, you'd give a lot for a little bit less restlessness, right? Or a little bit more ease, right? Yeah. It makes a big difference. It doesn't have to go away completely, but we can play with that. Yeah. So there's always something we can do to move that dial, work through the body, work through the mind. It's always something we can do to attend to our experience in ways that nourish more well-being and decrease ill-being. And how we meet our experience, how we relate to it, how we see it, how we look at it, is actually more significant than what the experience initially is. How we meet it is more significant than what it initially is. Yeah. Pain in the body. Yeah. A lot of the time, not much that we can do to change it. But how we relate to it, that's where the freedom is. And that's also where the cultivation is. That's what we can develop. Yeah. To meet our experience over and over again in ways that decrease the dukkha, yeah. decrease the ill-being, that open up possibilities. And this is the insight uh, we'll be following yeah, on this retreat, but this is the insight you know, that is at the core of the Buddha's teachings. Yeah, the way we relate shapes our experience. Yeah. And there's a lot we can do with that. Yeah. There's a lot we can do with that. So let's have our moment of silence together to to bring this to a close and it's just a moment you don't even need to change posture but you can
So thank you for your listening and your practice. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.